Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. It's Friday, the 24th of January. This is the day the Lord has made, and this is the year of the Lord. You're going to hear a lot over this weekend about Chinese New Year, Lunar New Year. Uh, You're going to hear a lot about the year year of the rat. Uh, Apparently, Hong Kong's most famous fortune teller has weighed in and is being covered on pretty much every major news outlet across the country. Um, Here's something to note. As you as you hear them refer to Mr. So um, and and his fortune telling, um, I want you to consider that uh, he has only self-training in this and pretty much it's just made up. So um, although people pay him outrageous fees for him to tell them based on the sign under which they were born, which according to the Chinese calendar, uh, I was born under the sign of the monkey, uh, uh, people pay him all kinds of, of crazy money, which, by the way, he, he confesses that he simply increases his rates so that he can travel more. Uh, so this is um, has nothing to do with anything based in reality. And so just be mindful of that as these conversations circulate, particularly over the weekend, related to Chinese New Year uh, or the Lunar New Year or the Year of the Rat and all of the fortune telling and predictions that go along with that. Um, I, I would just want you to uh, consider how he became famous and and the sought after fortune teller um, when he has I mean, literally no there's no credentials related to this at all. OK, um, from a Christian worldview, this is the year of the Lord and this is the day the Lord has made from a Christian worldview. Our future is secure in Christ and God is sovereign over every square inch of life. N- there's no part of this that is just cycling around by um, some status of the celestial uh, orbiting of planets, which is what lunar um, theology is all based on. Okay, so if you want to know what your future holds, I have a really, um, I have good news for you. You can know the one who literally holds your future. And that would be a great way to invest this day that the Lord has made and this year of the Lord. Okay, so today is the March for Life in Washington, D.C. So many headlines related to this. You just heard there at the, in the news at the top of the hour that the new annual Marist poll, which is an annual uh, survey of public opinion on abortion, it's, it's commissioned every single year by the Knights of Columbus who are seeking to track the way that Americans view abortions and how those views have changed over time. Um, According to the results, 55% of Americans describe themselves as pro-choice. 40% describe themselves as pro-life. But when you dig down a little bit deeper, even though um, uh, the majority of Americans describe themselves as pro-choice, the majority of Americans is still not in favor, not in favor 
of the position espoused by the Democratic Party platform, which is that abortion should be available at any stage of pregnancy. There are only 21 percent of Americans who believe and think that way, according to uh, Marist's most recent polling. Uh, Overall, 70 percent of Americans polled said that they favor limiting abortion either to the first three months of pregnancy or to cases exclusively of rape, incest or to save the life of the mother. Um, Most people, the overwhelming majority of Americans, do not favor the anytime, anywhere, by any means, for any reason or no reason at all, uh, standard of abortion that is advocated currently by the platform of the Democratic Party. Um, I'm going to have lots of conversations about uh, the abortion issue and the pro-life position with Matt Hawkins, public theologian, up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Matthew T. Hawkins is back in the house. You can check out what he is working on at MatthewTHawkins.com, or you can follow him on Twitter at MTHawk. Welcome back, my friend. Good morning, Carmen. Happy March for Life Day. Happy March for Life Day. It's a good day. It, really, it's a good day. It is day. a good day. Um, talk, about, uh, talk about the March for Life briefly, and then um, I want to I talk about several topics related to sure. abortion. Sure. Yeah, lots of stuff out there this week. Uh, well, the March for Life is the uh, the world's largest uh, pro-life um, public gathering uh, in protest of the Ro- of the Roe v. Wade decision made uh, in the 70s, and uh, uh, it happens every year at the Capitol uh, in Washington D.C. And it is a vibrant, energetic, youthful, uh, exciting march. Um, always, uh, you know, it's always fight. You're always fighting off or risking weather in January in Washington, DC. Um, but it's always a great time. And, uh, there are tons of events that happen throughout the week, uh, because of the March for life, it's typically held on a Friday. Uh, it's to, um, uh, regardless of where the actual, uh, Roe v. Wade, uh, anniversary falls. And so that's today. And, uh, lots of folks are coming out and, uh, I, I'm, I missed it this year. I'm not in DC this year. Uh, but now you see, I think we talked a couple of shows ago that uh, the number of states and other, other locations are beginning to have their own uh, local March for Lives, uh, which is Marches for Life. Uh, and so that's a, it's a good, good and healthy development. And if uh, folks have not gone to D.C. for the March for Life, uh, I, I recommend you do it at least once. Uh, but at the same time. We recognize that uh, it ultimately protests a very sad decision for our nation in uh, legalizing uh, abortion on demand, and uh, we hope that uh, March for Life doesn't have to have to happen uh, for that reason in the future. All right? Maybe we would be having a March for Life in celebration of uh, a reversal of this position, and we could yeah. positively be uh, marching for all the yeah. things related to the life position that you and I are, you know, are hopeful to advance in terms of the flourishing of all people. So. You know, there's always going to be a pro-life movement. Um, the, the question is whether or not we will have to spend so much time, um, right. uh, uh, you know, intensely focused on the pre-born, um, because we would love to be focusing on the issues of those who are living among us and, and able to focus on issues of, of human flourishing. Okay, let's mm-hmm. talk about um, uh, let's talk about abortion and let's talk about the shifting. Uh, maybe attitudes is the right uh, word to use here um, uh-huh. on this topic. 
Yeah. So the Marist poll uh, that I think your listeners heard at the top of the hour um, is an annual poll. And uh, what you what you hear frequently among polling is if you just ask the question, are you pro-life or pro-choice? Uh, you know, you still get it, the, the dial doesn't move very much. Uh, you still get a significant number of people who uh, claim to be pro-choice. But you go a level or two down if if the surveys are asking the right questions. Uh, overwhelmingly, 70% or more uh, agree that there ought to be uh, significant ref- restrictions on on abortion, namely um, uh, outlawed in the third third trimester and second trimester. And so uh, that's often what doesn't get um, all the national headlines. Uh, they you know they kind of pitch it and report it as well. You know. Americans are still divided, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but if they were truly uh, re- reporting on the details, there is there is massive agreement that uh, we ought to be restricting abortion uh, to an earlier and earlier point at the fetal development stage. Now, we're going to hear from a lot of folks who are going to say that any compromise um, in terms of abortion restriction, so anything that doesn't go all the way to outright banning mm-hmm. abortion – um, is is a right. compromise, and we are compromising away our conviction, our pro life conviction. Um, talk about yeah. that. Sure. Uh, well, I'd commend to your listeners uh, an article by my friend Scott Klusendorf. It's up at uh, Desiring God this week, uh, where he lays out a fantastic case. Uh, it's titled "Abortion Dies by a Thousand Votes," uh, and it basically explains why pro life advocacy, um, uh, kind of an incremental approach, is not compromise. Um, we run into this periodically, both at the federal level and the state level, in which you have uh, legislators who are who claim to be pro-life, and I have no doubt they are, but they will not vote for anything that stops short, that, that is anything short of total and outright abortion ban. And what you have there is uh, a real kind of a problem uh, because the way our country works very rarely do you get anything, any kind of change that is instant, instantaneous. Um, even even in the context of a, a Supreme Court case that might quote unquote overturn Roe versus Wade, uh, it's really unlikely that it would do a complete 180. Um, and even then, uh, even if it did just undo the federal uh, the federal decision all in one fell swoop, everything then falls to all 50 states. And then all 50 states have different uh, different laws on the books. So the, the pro-life uh, policy um, movement and the act of legislating law and, you know, passing laws and creating this stuff, uh, it's always been a long game and it will continue to be a long game, uh, both at the state and the federal level. And so Scott's case is basically like, look, um, incrementalism in, in the case of uh, the pro-life movement, uh, if done right – um, is not a compromise in the, in the negative sort of way. Uh, if anything, it's a compromise on the abortion, uh, the pro-abortion side, because they have to relinquish um, total, uh, you know, the total discretion at, at all points during fetal development. Um, so it is a loss to the pro-choice or the pro the pro-abortion uh, folks if they have to, you know, stop doing. Uh, um, abortions during, the, say, the third trimester uh, or at the point at which uh, the babies feel pain. Uh, and so uh, Scott's got a fantastic analogy um, there. He, he sets the stage in the Middle East and uh, as if there's a legislator who's trying to reduce uh, sex slavery, uh, women in, in, in the select, uh, in and he makes a lot of progress in, in Scott's um, uh, fictional metaphor that uh, 
almost 20,000 girls are about to be saved from uh, being sold into sex slavery. Uh, but a couple legislators decide because because it doesn't fully uh, fully legalize uh, sex slavery at all ages um, that they're not going to vote for his bill. And so therefore, the 20,000 girls who uh, who were going to be sold into slavery are sold into slavery. And uh, you, when they could have sold, you know, saved 20,000, they uh, they didn't. Um, and so, uh, you know, a far more simple ethical picture is that of if you're in a case of, uh, you know, a, a bus uh, full of children uh, driving into a, a river, um, you can't save all of them. So you don't save any of them. Uh, I, I think we would all try to save uh, one if if we could. Um, so yeah, there's a similar like the ethical analogy there. Right. It's like the starfish, you know, analogy on the beach. You know, it matters to that one. I can't I can't save them Mm -hmm. all, but it does matter to that one. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, Matthew Hawkins and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. We're going to we're going to talk about the various approaches um, across the nation in terms of the way abortion is being limited in some places by some states. And um, and we're going to look at reconsidering fetal pain as uh, as one approach um, to defining defining or or setting the parameters of the abortion conversation. My conversation partner right now is Matthew T. Hawkins. You can find him at M.T. Hawk on Twitter, or you can find him online at MatthewTHawkins.com. We'll be right back. This is amazing Returning to my conversation with Matthew Hawkins, you can find him online at MatthewTHawkins.com. Great place to catch his uh, his podcast as well. Okay, so Matt, we um, we have been talking for a long period of time about viability. That's actually the language yeah. that we've been using in terms of the abortion conversation. And viability is now getting at a younger and younger point, which I think is what right. is pushing legislation you know, where they're where they're saying a certain number of weeks, we then move to sort of a conversation about heartbeat. And once there's an identifiable heartbeat, yeah. maybe that's the place we want to draw the line. There's now a conversation yeah. or a renewed conversation about fetal pain when it is evident that yeah. a baby in the womb visibly, I mean, like we can actually see it happen now on these ultrasounds when yeah. a baby is actually experiencing pain in the abortive yeah. process. Like that's that's a that's a bridge too far. Like you you ought yeah. to not be able to take the life of someone when it's obvious that you are causing them real pain. So talk about yeah. um, this uh, this Journal of Medical Ethics article, Reconsidering Fetal Pain. Yeah. So uh, out, out of the last uh, couple months is a new article um, called Reconsidering Fetal Pain, published in the Journal of Medical Ethics. Uh, it looks like a collaboration between uh, a, scientist, a medical scientist in Singapore and one in the U.S. And uh, they, um, with further study, have uh, are coming to the conclusion that uh, not only have they decided and to reaffirm uh, what the basis has been for a lot of the uh, 20-week uh, abortion ban bills uh, that uh, they were skeptical about the the pain, that, uh, <clears throat> fetal pain about uh, 20 weeks or so. Not only have they decided to change their minds, it sounds like, from their report uh, on that point, but they believe it's actually a, a window that could start much earlier, as early as 12 weeks. 
in the gestational window. Uh, and so uh, that's a pretty remarkable, now this is just a, one, a single study, um, but it's interesting that in the study you have uh, kind of a split opinion between the two uh, between the two folks who are doing the report. Um, it sounds like one is a little more sympathetic to a pro-choice kind of approach where uh, he seems to be uh, you know, want to limit pain in the case of uh, if that's a thing, uh, whereas one, uh, the other believes like we do that uh, abortion is ultimately a violent act in and of itself and doesn't trust the abortion industry to uh, to regulate it uh, or to uh, anesthetize um, um, uh, unborn babies. Uh, and of course, even uh, the anesthetic, uh, you know, uh, helping a fetus not feel pain uh, when it's being uh, when it's being executed is um, in and of, in and of itself uh, could put further risk to the mother. So uh, a lot of details here um, for us to consider. Um, I've been reading as part of my PhD work, uh, a scholar named uh, Leslie Newbigin uh, recently, and he talks about uh, Christians being in this culture that's all rooted in facts, quote unquote facts. Like that's the, uh, that's the orthodox, uh, you know, religion of, of our Western culture. Um, and there are a lot of problems with that, uh, but then but he asserts that Christians are kind of in this value we're a world and culture of values, right? And so a lot of this pain stuff uh, really has to do, I see it as one more way that we as people of kind of the values world, uh, we believe there are certain truths and we believe that um, uh, unborn life uh, begins at conception. Um, we're still trying to advocate for the sake of the unborn. Uh, we're advocating for a value in a culture that uh, predominantly only speaks the language of facts. And so this is where that, uh, that strategy comes in um, to use medical facts and medical research to say, look, we recognize this stuff is happening uh, to the unborn babies, um, and it's really not helpful. And it's one more way to help try to prick the consciences of those who uh, don't want to restrict abortion. So we don't have um, sufficient time uh, today, Matt, to uh, to to talk about maybe my my desire and hope that abortion regulations would one day be based on the Fourteenth Amendment of the Constitution, where you know, those in the womb would be recognized as persons. Right. That's, uh, that's sort of my desire. That's where my hope would go. Um, right. And so this is an ongoing conversation. And I do think that it's important for us to continue to talk about, as you describe it, the fact-based realities um, of what's going on in the womb. And when Christians can use science and technology to demonstrate um, that this is life, and this isn't just yeah. life, this is human life, and it's distinctly human human life, then we have to be equipped to also talk about what it means to be human. And I think yeah. that um, the identity conversations we have in the culture today and the delusions related to identity, um, you know, then come into, yeah. sort of come into view. So yeah. we don't have time, yeah. uh, you and I don't have time to get into this conversation about um, South Dakota and other states seeking to protect minors from being subjected to medical treatment or hormones mm -hmm. or surgery that would um, change their physical bodies to look like the gender they are not, but the gender they yeah. imagine themselves to be. Um, but I think that's a topic worthy of, of digging into in the future. I don't imagine that these six states will be alone um, as they no. move in this direction. Yep. 
I agree. Yeah. It's, uh, it's an interesting world we live, and uh, this intersection of issues in the fact world uh, will be continuing to continue to watch. And on both of these issues, uh, abortion and transgenderism, uh, we're going to see you know the way the way our federal government is the federal uh, Congress right now. We're not going to see leadership there uh, right. on any of these issues. We're going to see leadership at the states. Uh, so pay attention to the states. Hey, thanks for helping us do that uh, week in and week out. That's Matthew Hawkins. We'll talk to you next week. Have a great day. Have a great weekend, Carmen. Thank you. We'll be right back. Okay, as I'm uh, watching my Twitter feed, I'm recognizing that there are many people um, pointing out just how selective uh, the pro-life conversation can be at certain points. And so the State Department has now issued rules restricting U.S. travel for pregnant women because, after all, we don't want those babies born here. So when we talk about a pro-life administration, we have to recognize that there are lots of uh, pieces and parts to the pro-life conversation. And I want to be mindful of that today as well. All right. Up next, Chris Martin from Lifeway Social is going to be here. Um, I am going to ask him, what is TikTok and why should I care? And and this is really, if you don't know what TikTok is, which, you know, frankly, I don't really know what TikTok is, which is why I'm asking Chris, because he does know. You and I are are actually like missing out on a global generational phenomenon. And so um, consider this your cultural education uh, on this Friday. What is TikTok and why should you care? Up next with Chris Martin here this morning. Some years ago at the Residential Counseling Center for Troubled Teens called Heartlight, we helped a girl through some particularly tough issues. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. After a lot of hard work and the unconditional love of her parents, she was able to move on to a new life with both joy and celebration. And just recently, I tearfully watched her say her wedding vows. The bride wore a ring on both hands, one that we gave her to represent victory in her personal life and her new wedding band. At that special moment, she said to me, I wouldn't have my wedding ring without first having the ring you gave me. Moms and dads, don't give up. Don't lose hope. Keep believing that your sons and daughters can turn out to be all that God created them to be. Learn about Mark's upcoming events and check out his latest resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Okay, so can I read one humorous headline before we go to Chris Martin of Lifeway Social? I hope so, since uh, I feel compelled to do so. Chicago has now installed in its airports something called cannabis amnesty boxes. (laughs) There's there's, There's amnesty for carrying cannabis into the airport, but not through the TSA. And so you can dispose of all of your marijuana related products in the cannabis amnesty boxes before you board your flight. Um, Relevant to nothing today other than just a cultural comment about the devolution of uh, American culture. Chris Martin is here from Lifeway Social Voices. You can actually find him, um, his blog, at chrismartin.blog. Chris, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. There's amnesty for weed. I don't know. That seems like a cultural (laughs) development that I did not see coming. Yeah, it's the world we live in now. <laughs> I know. 
Okay, so TikTok, um, spelled T-I-K-T-O-K. Um, can you explain to me what is TikTok and why should I care? Yeah, those are uh, both good questions. So this would be a, this conversation uh, will be a lot easier depending on how you answer this next question of mine. Um, are you aware of the the social media app Vine? Vine, V-I-N-E. Yeah. Um, not. I mean, I have heard that term. I I do not know what that is. All right. So back uh, a number of years ago, uh, probably this is going to be wrong, but probably like 2013 to 2016 or 2012 to 2015 for about a three or four year period, uh, the people behind Twitter created a video app, a video social media platform called Vine, where people could record six second videos um, that varied in nature. Some of them were funny. Some of them were serious. Some of them were performance art. You know, they were dancing or singing or something like that. Um, and so Vine was like what Twitter was to social media, where it was kind of like micro, you know, it was limited when it first came out at 140 characters. And uh, you, you had a very small space to express yourself. Vine was that for video social media platforms. So Vine was six seconds to do something funny or or interesting or whatever. And, and people built, there are now YouTubers who started as Vine stars who uh, built entire lives on that Vine social media app. The reason that's relevant is the best way to think about TikTok is kind of like the next iteration of Vine. So if Vine was a six-second uh, video social media platform, TikTok uh, videos aren't limited to six seconds. I'm not exactly sure how, what they're limited to, maybe a minute, minute, and 30 seconds. Um, but it is a video-based social media platform uh, where uh, users can be funny or most commonly uh, tracks like background tracks are used. Sometimes they're music, sometimes they're audio, just somebody recorded themselves talking uh, and then somebody might, might use that audio and kind of lip sync or record a video using the audio that someone else recorded or a, or a famous song. Um, and so it's a video social media platform really kind of based around performance or creating funny, interesting content more than it is about connecting, though connecting with other people certainly happens. You know, you kind of need to think about social media platforms in a couple of different buckets. You have Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook. Those are all more about connecting with other people or sharing ideas or uh, that sort of thing. Whereas you have YouTube, TikTok, to some extent, Instagram, though Instagram kind of uh, walks in between these two different kinds of social media platforms. Uh, YouTube, TikTok, and to some extent Instagram are all more performance-based. Uh, people don't go to YouTube as much to connect with friends as they do to consume the content of entertainers or create content as an entertainer. That's how TikTok is. It's just you can almost put it another way. You can look at TikTok as short-form YouTube, um, the same kind of content that uh, is often being posted to YouTube, though in much longer form, is being posted to TikTok. To give you background on TikTok itself, it is a Chinese-based company owned by a company called ByteDance. Um, so almost simultaneously, there was an app in China called TikTok and an app in the U.S. called Musical.ly, which were doing almost the same thing. And Musical.ly was really exploding among teenagers and young adults, though primarily people in middle school and high school, who often drive the the influx of social media of an uh, the uh, influx of popularity around a social media platform 
often driven by middle schoolers and high schoolers. That's how it was back when I was in middle school and high school. Um, and so Musical.ly was exploding in the U.S. TikTok was exploding in China. And t- the company behind TikTok, ByteDance, bought Musical.ly, which basically and, – and basically just fed it up into TikTok. They kind of combined the two uh, apps and so now TikTok, basically the Chinese version of Musical.ly is now the world's version of Musical.ly. And TikTok is the is kind of what people were doing on Vine five years ago. They're doing on TikTok now, but in a slightly different way. So that's that's TikTok. The reason you should care very quickly is because it's the most influential app among gosh. 10 to 20-year-olds right now, period. There's no competition. Instagram can't hold a candle to it. I mean, the same people who use TikTok are using Instagram, so don't think they're leaving one for the other. But when it comes to creating culture, the things the students in my youth group are talking about or the students in the schools in your neighborhood or your, if you're listening, your kids are talking about, the kind of culture or jokes or memes, as they're called these days, um, internet culture-based jokes or celebrities are all coming out of TikTok right now. And it's not just fun and games. Some kids, literal kids, are making serious money. Uh, and, it's, and it's really gaining some steam. Okay, so I just, while we were talking, uh, learned that um, right now there's like 228,000 people um, actively over and over and again watching a TikTok video Um well, gosh, of something that looks criminal. Okay, here's a million people watching a TikTok video of a couple having uh, an argument. Uh, here's another 108,000 people watching a TikTok video of a raccoon opening a trash can. Yeah, I get, I get, I get what you're talking about here. So we're spending our time watching uh, up to a minute. Okay, so my crack research team, um, while we were talking, says that TikTok videos are 15 seconds, but you can connect four of them for a total of one minute of video. So um, people are watching this and it really is influencing, particularly among teenagers, um, it really is influencing how they see the world, what they think, and what they then aspire to to do and, uh, and the kind of language that they're using. This is a far more influential um, reality than, let's say, the church in the culture today. So, Chris, I want to talk with you about um, from a youth ministry perspective, how you, um, as a person concerned about the next generation of Christians, and me concerned about the same as a, as a parent of such, um, uh, how do we properly engage a platform like TikTok? How do we, I mean, don't I just sound like a crazy old person when I even use the language? And so maybe I'll wait and we'll do a quick break. And after the break, you can tell me if I'm just a crazy old person when I say, hey, I saw this on TikTok because, I don't know, somehow that seems weird for me to even be doing. So that's up next here with, yeah, right, with Chris Martin from Lifeway Social. He and I are going to continue this conversation in literally just a minute. I'm Carmen LaBerge. I am here with Chris Martin from Lifeway Social Voices. Uh, You can find Chris... Uh, his blog online at chrismartin.blog. Chris, let's uh, let's answer the question. If I make reference to TikTok with a young person today, 
um, I probably need you to tell me how that's going to be perceived and maybe how uh, how to engage in that conversation in a way that doesn't just immediately think make them think that I'm an old person trying to have a conversation about something they think is cool. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, yeah, that's something I'm having to learn to navigate as I get older. Um, it's, you know, I lead the student ministry at our church, as we've talked about, and I'm 29 now, and it's it's becoming more and more clear to me that it's been 10 years since I was in high school. Like, it's, it's you know, I, I keep up with kind of young, young person youth culture, if you will call it that, just because a lot of understanding social media for my job kind of revolves around understanding what young people are doing because they're often forging the path to the next most relevant social platform. But even still, like there are things that I'm, what I'm careful to do if we're talking like tips for talking about TikTok without sounding like a boomer, as it were, um, the, the thing that I try to do is like talk to our students about it with demonstrating that I'm, I'm not an outsider that I know I know what's going on, but I want to hear like what their favorite stuff is. I did this with YouTube a while back uh, when I was getting into YouTube more for the first time. So like for TikTok, I'll talk about how, uh, you know, Chase Hudson and Charlie D'Amelio, who are two of the most popular TikTokers in the world and are currently dating. Um, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll talk about, hey, did you see this video from them? Or did you hear about how Chase Hudson, you know, and a bunch of other creators uh, are renting a house in LA called the hype house where they all basically, they literally rented a house that still stands basically empty just to record TikTok videos, um, primarily in the bathroom of that, which there was a great article in the New York times yesterday about how, uh, TikTok videos are being recorded in the bathroom more than anywhere, largely because of their great, um, lighting and acoustics and the ability to have privacy there. So there's no fear of someone coming in in the middle of your TikTok or whatever. Uh, which is just a fascinating phenomenon. But um, so I'll talk about some of the characters in their world, right? So if TikTok is the world of teenagers, I'll try to talk about some of the characters because I know who they are. Um, so I'll talk about Chase Hudson or Charlie DeBellio or her sister, whose first name I'm forgetting, or some of the other big characters and just say, hey, do you see this? Do you see this piece of news? You know, they got this house or what do you think about that? And then I'll ask them, like, well, who's your, what, like, what's your favorite? TikTok person to watch. Um, they're not quite called TikTokers yet, so I'm not, I'm not sure what they're officially calling them. Um, but like, who's your favorite person to watch on TikTok or what kind of videos do you like most? Because what, what's coming out of it is like somebody will create, there, there's a lot of dancing that happens on TikTok. So if you're a good dancer, you already have kind of an end to being, you know, possibly being a big, per, a big star on TikTok. And so what will happen is somebody will take a this is how you become a TikTok influencer, Carmen. So in case you want to become a TikTok influencer, this is how you do it. You find, you find a well-known song or a song that young people would know, and you create a dance to it that lasts, you know, 15, 20 seconds. Create a dance, do that dance, and then hope that other people find that track that you used and to come across your dance and then replicate that dance and do it themselves, you know, learn it and that kind of thing. And then, and so what some of these, the biggest TikTok stars in the world, the reason they're so big is they're good looking, they're talented dancers and they know what songs are popular. And so they'll find popular songs. They know how to do dances. They know how to create them. They'll do it. And then a lot of other people will come across their stuff and kind of imitate their dance that they created. And then that's how culture is spreading. And, and songs are like, 
the the biggest song of the year last year, Old Town Road by Lil Nas X, that almost anyone who's just listened to the radio would, would have heard or heard it in the grocery store or something, that came from a TikTok video. Uh, and it was one of the biggest songs in the last – it was it was the biggest song last year. And so I think the way to talk about TikTok with young people without sounding like you're kind of an outsider is by not trying to uh, – not trying too hard, but also not scoffing at it like it's not important. Right. So uh, educate yourself, understand who the big players are, and when you have a con- that way, when you have a conversation, the young person you're talking with will recognize you're not saying, "What's this TikTok stuff? Like, what are all you kids doing these days?" Uh, and it's and you're not trying to be like, "Hey, check out this TikTok dance I created." You know, that'd be trying too hard. But if you said like, "Hey, have you seen have you seen uh, they you know this hype house thing in L.A.? Like, what do you think about that? Do you think it's a good idea, bad idea? Because the community is split on whether that's good or bad, and and just kind of generate conversation about something that's interesting to them, and then make it personal. Like, what? Okay, cool. So like, who do you like on TikTok? If you're not into those big people, like, are you into like comedians or or that kind of thing? Or like, who do you like to follow? So that's that's kind of the avenue I try to take when talking about stuff like this. But people's mileage is probably going to vary. Okay, so Chris Martin and I are talking about TikTok, and one of the reasons we're talking about it is because, like, there's 800 million active users of this social media platform, and for those of us who, you know, are still in the Facebook and or Twitter generation and or Instagram, um, this is this is now what the next gen is doing, and we are really not a part of it, and I'm not really sure they want us to be a part of it. Um, if I scroll around here, um, they're they're not, you know people in the 50-some age bracket who uh, are quite are very popular here, unless they're just ma- being made fun of, right? We're really talking about a very youthful platform. And so, um, Chris, talk about, um, talk about this just in terms of the influence that these people have in the lives of our young people. I don't see a lot here that looks like it's, you know, dominated by a Christian worldview. Um, and so just, just address the reality that these people on TikTok – are influencing the next generation in a really profound way. And we as Christians who are, you know, interested in influencing the next generation for Christ, like this is this is kind of the competition. Yeah, for sure. Um, TikTok is a pretty, this might be too strong of a word, but it's a pretty vulgar social media platform. Like when I've got on there and I, I've never created an account, I'll just try to scroll through the, what's called the For You page, which is kind of like the trending page, but they, they tailor it to what's uh, what's interesting to you. And the first few times I got on there, you know, they don't have any data on me or what videos I watch or don't watch. Some of the videos that floated to the top were pretty sexually suggestive in nature, not in their video content, but perhaps in the songs that are being used in the background or, or things, or perhaps the dances being done to those songs. And so it is some of the things that are, that are put out there by teenagers via TikTok are, I'm like, I'm kind of like, whoa, I can't believe they're, they're doing that. That's something I thought would be reserved for Instagram direct messages or Snapchat or something like that, not, not put out so publicly. So I think it is key to be aware of that. But really, there's a great article in Vox, which is an online news outlet that often covers tech issues and, and social media issues really well, that was posted last week that's called uh, E-Boys Are the New Teen Heartthrobs. And E-Boys is a whole other conversation, but for lack of a better term, in terms of what we've been discussing, e-boys can be likened to the TikTok stars, the 
the boys who are who are taking over TikTok and the alongside the girls who are taking over TikTok. And those boys are kind of the new boy bands in a way. Um, they are they're attractive, they're funny or talented at dancing or singing or whatever else. Um, and they're being signed to major talent agencies. Like a number of these TikTokers who are 15, 17, 18 years old are being signed to the same talent agencies as Robert Downey Jr., Gwyneth Paltrow, and others. And they're being fought over by those management companies. They're moving out to L.A. and renting a house so that they can create content together because every video social media star knows that a collaboration is better than a solo work. And so they are incredibly influential. I don't you know, I'm not going to pass judgment on whether parents should let their kids use TikTok or not. It's a personal conversation and, and discussion. But I do think it's important to know that these TikTok stars and just TikTok culture in general is impacting students more, certainly more than the church. And honestly, I don't, I don't know that the church can really compete. But I do think that people in the church can come alongside their students and their young people and, and have conversations about these things so that it's not kind of happening in the dark away from any spiritual conversation. Yeah, huge mission field. Huge, just a huge mission field, and we have to know about it in order to um, somehow influence it. And it's probably not us. It's probably the next generation of Christians who are going to be influential on this platform. Chris Martin, thank you so much um, for the education you have given us today. We always look forward to uh, our conversations with you, and thank you for what you're doing at your church with the young people there. Sure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That's Chris Martin from LifeWay Social Voices. Uh, we got to take a break, and then we'll be right back. So you may be wondering, hey, you know, where is Carmen on social media? Yeah, you're probably not wondering that. But if you are, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, and I'm on Instagram. I'm not on TikTok. Um, I don't, yeah, probably not going to be. Uh, okay, so where are you on social media? Let me know. You can uh, text me at 877-933-2484. You can email me, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. Love to hear from you. we got a whole other hour coming up next. This is Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.